Today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm talking about how to apply the secrets of the sexually woke to the rest of your life, because it's not just about sex, it's about everything. Hi, and thanks for joining me on this week's episode of Sexually Woke with me, Dr. Susan. Today it's just me, and you're going to hear me just doing some kind of free thinking about some ideas that I've had lots of feedback about, which are how these secrets of the sexually woke that we've been talking about apply to other aspects of our lives because I'm a gynecologist and I'm looking at life through the lens of sex fairly often, but really sex is just a little window into everything. So today I want to explore some ideas about how these secrets of the sexually woke actually can show up in every aspect of your life. And in particular, what's feeling very alive to me today is how the secrets of the sexually woke can apply to your financial life or your career life or your family life or any other part of your life. So for those of you who might not feel like sex is a very alive topic at the moment, totally get it. I had many, many years where that was the case for me. But what I've actually found is that these secrets of the sexually woke, and we're going to go over what those are again, for those of you who didn't listen to the last podcast about it or haven't read the book, and then kind of look at how that doesn't really only apply to sex. It really applies to everything. And hone in, especially on what I'm thinking about right now, is how does this apply to my career or my general life if I don't have a career, so to speak, but my life in general? So... Let's just go right there, and I'll remind everyone what I discovered were the secrets of the sexually woke in the book that I wrote called Sexually Woke, and you guys know about that already. But to have an amazing sex life and to live in our full aliveness, what I found in my study is that three things were very, very important to the people who had this, and they were, first of all, being open to possibility. That's number one. I'll give you a minute to think about that, being open to possibility. Second one was to know yourself first. So know yourself first. And then the third one was to approach, in this case, sex, but approach everything with intention and attention. Okay, so now we've got the three secrets, which are open to possibility, know yourself first, and approaching whatever it is that we're talking about with attention and intention. And so all of this came up for me, and I discovered it all doing research about sexuality. But then I thought, hey, this is really not just about sex. It's about everything. So let's think about that. Um, So my job, your job, your work, your purpose, how— are we applying these thoughts to what we do every day? And what limiting beliefs are we holding that are preventing us from living in our full aliveness in our work, for example? So let's just stick with that one thing. Uh, Many of you know I went through a huge work transition, a career transition in July of last year, so not even a year ago. I made a decision that was very scary to leave a very lucrative and successful career, you know, running a huge OB-GYN group. And it was a wonderful job. And I'm so grateful to have had that opportunity and all of those things. And none of that is not true. But at a certain point, it wasn't singing to my soul anymore. 
But sticking, let's go with this secret number one, open to possibility. I had lived in a world where I saw no possibility that there was anything else that I could do. You know, at the time I was 52. No, I'm too old to change careers. I'm too stuck in this. I'm too successful at it. Like starting over would be financially irresponsible. You know, all these stories that we tell ourselves. And when I think about what I was telling myself during those years prior to finally making this decision about all the reasons that I couldn't make that change, um, like those things. Uh, For example, I thought for many years there was no way I could be an obstetrician gynecologist, which is what I was trained to do my whole life, and not deliver babies. So it took me years of not wanting to deliver babies anymore. Like I really didn't want to do it anymore. It wasn't singing to my soul. I mean, I loved it, but it was so disruptive to my family and it was causing all kinds of problems. But I truly believed that I could not give it up because I had a limiting belief around that idea. So asking again, just inviting you to think, you know, what limiting beliefs do you have around what you're doing or not doing or what you would love to be doing if only you could do it? What limiting beliefs do you have that are making you less open to possibility? Because remember, you know, one of the secrets of the sexually woke is being open to possibility. So one of my limiting beliefs was I could not stop delivering babies. Um, I also believe that I could only see patients in the traditional way where we accepted insurance. I thought there was no way I could make a living if I stopped taking insurance. I didn't want to take insurance. I felt very constricted by it. It made me feel very tight and small, and I had a lot of anger and negative emotions around it. But I believed that I could not be successful if I didn't take insurance. That's another limiting belief. And just to keep reminding ourselves, those limiting beliefs are not true. So those are some of mine. And and the invitation is to examine what voices do you have telling you that you cannot do this or that because of all of these same reasons. And then being able to stop and challenge them and think, you know, is this really true? Am I 100% sure that it's true? Because even if there's a tiny little inkling of light coming through that black wall saying, this is not true, you cannot do it. And we've talked about this before, about the idea of living in a box Again, going back to that secret of being open to possibility, the first step is questioning, is this really true? Am I certain that it's true? Or is there any tiny possibility that it might not be true? And then a little bit of light can come in. So yeah, I can't give up delivering babies. I cannot work in an environment where I don't take insurance. There's no way I could succeed. I would not have any money. I am sure of this, right? And it turns out it wasn't true. I can't leave my old job because of all of those reasons. I've worked so hard at it. I started it by myself in 2002. You know, I'm 52 years old. I I can't leave. Turns out that wasn't true either. Same with my marriage that I left in 2014. I, for years, I believed I could not leave that marriage. So these are my limiting beliefs that I'm sharing. And the reason that I'm sharing them is so that you can perhaps be brave enough to just sit still for a moment because you have to sit still and just ask yourself, are you absolutely sure? I mean, maybe you're 99% sure, but is there a 1% chance that what you're telling yourself might not be true? Because even if there's a 1% chance, then that means that 
there might be another possibility. And going back to this idea of being open to possibility, that's where all the good stuff is. And, you know, whether we're talking about sex, because this is the Sexually Woke podcast, you know, or anything, just think about how this applies to everything that you do or don't do. How many times a day do you hear a voice telling you that there's some reason why this thing that you want or that you wish for or that if only I could have that is not possible for you? And my hope, my aspiration for everyone is that we could lighten up around that a little bit and just believe that maybe that's not true. So limiting beliefs, we're talking about that again in the context of now work because that just really came alive for me this year because, hey, I walked away from the best career anyone could ever have. I stopped taking insurance, which 99% of people would tell you is a terrible idea and that you wouldn't be able to succeed and you wouldn't make any money. And I left my old job and they were fine without me. It turns out the world didn't fall down just because I left. And so I'm telling you it's possible and I'm not superwoman. I'm a regular person. And all of us have limiting beliefs that are holding us back from what we really want to do. So on the other side of that, just like in my book where I talked about on the other side of taking this huge risk to leave my marriage and explore my full potential as a sexual being and take risks with new relationships and all of these things, that's where all the good stuff is. And if we want to be happy, and I'm not sure if I even like using the word happy because it has so much judgment applied to it, but just to be content and to feel full and to feel like we're living in our full aliveness, we've got to let go of those limiting beliefs or at least hear them and recognize that they are not true. Because I've said this a lot of times and I'll say it again, don't believe your thoughts. Don't believe your thoughts. Don't believe your thoughts. Your thoughts are just mostly nonsense running the same old stories like a broken record that we inherited through our genetics and through our culture and from our parents and our old relationships. And your stories are not true and mine are not either. And we've got a hell of a lot of stories. And turns out most of them are fiction. So don't let them limit your life. So what if it's not true? So this is where it gets fun. If I ask, you know, I do some coaching around this. I do a lot of coaching around this. You know, once we've established a limiting belief, like let's just take mine, that I cannot be successful if I don't deliver babies. You know, those of you who know me know I haven't delivered babies for seven or eight years. So I did survive that and everything turned out better. But prior to that, I had a very, very strong belief that I could not survive if I didn't deliver babies. It wasn't just the financial aspect, but that was my identity. If you asked me my job, I said, I'm an obstetrician. I deliver babies. So my whole identity was wrapped up on it, in it, and I really believed that I would not survive. Well, that was wrong. So when we can identify a limiting belief, a really great question to ask ourselves is, what if that's not true? What would be possible if that was not true? Who would I be if that was not true? And I love that question. One of my teachers threw that at me. Who would you be? Just play with it. You don't even have to really believe it. But who would you be if that story you're telling was not true? And that might be a really great journaling exercise for some of you because it was for me. 
because who I would be if that was not true, if it was possible I could survive without delivering babies and without taking insurance and without working for the, you know, giant corporation that I was with that ultimately wasn't making me happy, who would I be without all of that? And all of the things I can come up with that I could come up with were beautiful and amazing and felt freeing and felt warm and fuzzy. And so if that's the case, then maybe that can draw you towards that possibility. Because again, we're still talking about secret number one in the secrets of the sexually woke, which is being open to possibility. So who would you be if you didn't have that limiting belief? So I'm going to leave that with you as is, because that's going to require a little bit of thought on your end if you were willing to do it. And it's really scary. And I can tell you this, if you sit still and I challenge you to do it, if we sit still for a little while and start listening to our thoughts without jumping on the train with them, in other words, observe your mind like you're watching TV, don't jump into the TV, just observe it and hear these voices and then question where they're coming from and ask yourself, you know, what would life be like if that wasn't true? I will warn you that if you do that, a lot of things in your life might change. And so if you're ready for your life to change, that's a really great thing to do. But if you want to stay stuck, and I know that people might say, of course, I don't want to stay stuck. But believe me, a lot of people really do want to stay stuck because getting unstuck is scary. We get out into outside of our boxes where we don't know what's going to happen, and it's scary. Well, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If you're not scared, if you're not uncomfortable, then you're in your comfort zone, right? So that makes perfect sense. But if we don't get out of our comfort zone and we don't become uncomfortable, we're never going to grow. And we're never going to find out who we really are. And we're never going to find out how we can live in our full aliveness. And that can be about sex or anything else. So that kind of segues right into secret number two, which you might remember if you've been listening along, that secret number two of the sexually woke was that before we can do anything truly authentic in a relationship, we have to know ourselves first, right? And we've talked about this before, that that sounds kind of cliche, that you have to know yourself first and you can't love anyone else until you love yourself. And we throw those terms around very easily. But we talked about that already recently when I um, did an episode a few weeks ago about the secrets of the sexually woke. But I want to take that into the rest of our lives as well and talk about how does knowing yourself first apply to your job? If you have a traditional job, or your job may be being a mom or your job may be a homemaker or whatever that it is that you do with your life all day. How does knowing yourself first apply to that? Well, I would say that it applies to everything because just like in a sexual relationship, we cannot show up, I cannot show up in any setting if I don't know who's here. So I can't show up in any setting, whether it's a sexual relationship, which is what we've been talking about mostly because it is the Sexually Woke podcast, but sex is so much more than just sex. I cannot show up at work or with my kids or in any setting if I don't know who's here because who's showing up, you know, kind of just is basic math. And how do you get to know yourself? Well, it takes a long time and it takes a lot of time sitting still. 
and and I've mentioned that already today and and many times before, but when coaching clients or other people ask me, um, you know, all of this sounds like way too much work. Can you tell me just one thing? Like, what's just one thing I could do to change my life? I, I don't have time to do too much, so just give me one thing. And what my answer would be is put some time aside, like create some specific time in your life to sit still and observe your thoughts. And if you do that one thing, then everything else will follow because that's really the basis of all of it. Because if you make that time for yourself to sit still and observe your thoughts and start figuring out who's talking and where those voices came from and whether they're trying to help you or ultimately they're harming you, once we figure out what makes us tick, then we can show up fully. And I'm all about living in our full aliveness. That's what we're talking about here on this podcast is living in our full aliveness. And what I mean by that is all of you, the parts that you don't like anymore, the, the, the personas or the parts of you who did some really shitty things to other people that, that you need to apologize for or that I do. You know, I never want to tell anyone what they should do. So let me take that back. Things that I need to um, apologize for, people I need to forgive, all of those kind of things. We want to accept all of it. You know, this whole person, the person who didn't know very much when she was young and did some stupid things, the person who still doesn't know that much. And I'm 53 and just beginning, you know, to, to learn this journey. We don't ever get to the end of it. It's a path. So if there's one thing um, that, that I would recommend for everyone to do is to carve out some time regularly. And I would hope it would be every day, but at least it would be often to just sit still and observe your thoughts. So what's this got to do with work and what's this got to do with anything? What happens is when we get to know ourselves better, we can become much more clear about whether we're doing what we're really called here to do, you know, and without sounding too kind of wishy-washy or witchy, I do believe that we're all called here to do something. And I don't know who we're called here by. I don't think it matters if we believe in God or we don't or whatever, and that isn't the point. But each of us has some internal genius. And, you know, we've heard about it in terms of things like flow. You know, there's a lot of writing about flow, which is when we're in the zone and feeling like everything's working just right and athletes experience this, or if we're working on a really challenging project and everything's going well and, you know, we've experienced this, but learning how to make sure that we're doing the right thing. So if we're in a rut and we talk about ruts and holes and prisons all the time on this podcast because they come up a lot, um, whenever we feel stuck, any kind of stuckness, all these metaphors, right? In a prison, we're in a shell, we're stuck in a rut. In some way or another, we're not free. So it all comes back to some lack of freedom. If you're feeling like your career, for example, or your relationship or your work, your job in any way is a a feeling of stuckness, then we're not free. And so how do we get out of that uh, and live in our full aliveness? And how do we get the courage to leave and, and decide to do something else. And so I don't have any answers for you, but more of just a lot of questions for you to ask yourself. And if uh, those of you who've uh, worked with me in a coaching setting, these are the kind of things that we do. 
And if you're interested in working with me in a coaching setting, you can connect with me and we could do that um, through drsusan.com, D-R-S-U-S-A-N.com. So the coaching process, since I mentioned it, is about doing this, about digging down to asking ourselves whether this is really what I need to be doing with this one wild, precious life. That's the end of a beautiful poem by Mary Oliver. You know, I have this one wild, precious life, and is this really what's singing to my soul right now? And maybe it did before. I used to love delivering babies, for example, because we talked about that. And then I didn't anymore. And that's when it's time to change. And you can change. And I don't care how old you are. Like, like I said, I was 52, and I completely uprooted my career and changed to something else. And thank goodness that I did, because now I am living in my full aliveness. And it feels amazing and free. And and, and we can do this. We can make these decisions. And again, going back to knowing ourselves, if we don't sit still and listen to our thoughts and hear that voice from within saying, you know, this doesn't feel right. Maybe this doesn't feel ethical even. I know a lot of people who work in settings where they're not sure if they're even doing, you know, they're not breaking the law, but they're working in an environment that just feels yucky and, and that, that yuckiness coming home with that every day. If we don't sit still, we can shake that. We can just sort of shake it off or ignore it. But in some way or other, that is eating away at our ability to live and our full aliveness in this one wild, precious life that we have. So listen to that little voice if it's saying, you know, what you're doing is wrong or yucky, or doesn't sit right with you, or it's not in alignment with my core values. I love that one. You know, if you establish what your core values are, and I wrote about this in the book, and you know, most of us have similar core values, turns out, things like honesty, and gratitude, and generosity, and bravery, and you know, all of these things. But many of us are not living in alignment with those. If we're, for example, working in a field that mm, is less than ethical, or is uh, based in manipulation or whatever. And I'm not judging anyone who's doing that because we have to make a living. But, you know, there are ways to make some changes so that you can be, you know, I, I used to talk about work-life balance. And I don't talk about that anymore because that suggests to me that work and life are different. <laughs> so it's more like life-life balance, just life-life balance, balancing everything so that all of your life is in alignment with your core values. But how can you do that if you don't know who you are? So going back to the second secret of the sexually woke, if you don't really know who you are, it's impossible to know if you're living in alignment with your core values because you don't really know what they are. Uh, but I can tell you from my own experience, living many, many years out of alignment with my core values and then now shifting so that not just Sunday for an hour when you go to church or the little bits of time having wonderful moments with your family after work, not just those little moments, but every moment of the day from when you wake up to when you go to sleep. And even when you're asleep, that you're living in alignment with your core values. And that I believe is how we start living in our full aliveness, whether it's got to do with sex or work or anything. So that makes sense. Lots of thoughts. You're going to have to think about this one for a while. And I can tell you part of you isn't going to want you to think about it. Because the part of you who wants you to not change and wants you to be safe um, is a part of you that's really trying to help you. This is, this is not an unhelpful voice. Well, it is. Let me take that back. It's an unhelpful voice, but it's trying to be helpful. You know, the voice that wants you to stay the same and not take risks and not 
put yourself out there where you could get rejected or that you could possibly fail. That voice is really trying to keep you alive, but turns out it's ultimately not helping you to live. You know, so we've moved beyond survival now to having an opportunity to thrive. So just watch out and listen to that survival voice and recognize that she or he, but assuming that you're a woman, that she is trying to be helpful because she's trying to keep you alive and not be embarrassed or rejected or all of those things. But it's okay to say, look, I love you, that part of me, but I need to be set free now to get out of this rut. And thank you for keeping me alive, but now it's time to thrive. And I need a different voice that's going to inspire me to thrive because, you know, survival is kind of taken care of for most of us, you know, not to say that it's, we all have to work to live in those kind of things, but we're not living in caveman days anymore. So most of us um, in this culture and in the Western world, we're thinking about how to thrive and have a happy, wonderful life, not just how to get through the day without getting killed. So sit still, listen to that voice, and then don't hate her. Just tell her thank you, but we don't need her anymore. I hope that makes sense. Um, I write a lot about this in my book, so if you haven't read Sexually Woke, um, even if you think that sex isn't important, it talks a lot about that. In fact, it's more a book about knowing yourself than it is about sex. So I think we can move on from secret number two. So how does secret number three apply to the rest of your life? So uh, you may or may not remember that secret number three of the sexually woke was living with intention and attention. And so I'll go over again kind of the difference between those. And we were talking about in, in the context of our sexual relationships or our primary intimate relationships, making sure that we are approaching them every day with intention and attention. So uh, my thought process around those words were that intention was uh, some form of a very conscious decision to live life in a certain way. So intentionally choose to live life a certain way. So that's the intention part. And then the attention part is subtly different. It's where I choose to focus my mind. Make sense? So talking about the second part just for a second, because um, attention is so important. Where I choose to focus my mind changes everything. So we can become enormously successful or happy or terribly sad and miserable simply by choosing where we focus our mind. Wherever we focus our mind, that's where our lives are going to go. And there's so many quotes and wonderful things written about that that I wrote some of them in my book, and many of you have heard them already. Uh, but where our attention goes is where our energy flows. I like that one. I also like uh, the car goes where the eyes go. That's from a, one of my favorite books um, by Garth Stein. Um, you might have seen the movie with the dog in it. It's called uh, The Art of Racing in the Rain. And if you haven't read The Art of Racing in the Rain, just please do because it's just the best. Um, but the car goes where the eyes go. So where you focus your attention is where your life goes. And you get to choose where you focus your attention. Now, there's shit going on all the time, right? And there's also wonderful things. So in some uh, cultures, uh, this is Japanese, I think. They talk about the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. It's kind of balanced. So life has some 
shitty stuff in it, but it also has some amazingly joyful stuff in it. And the idea that I'm suggesting isn't to pretend nothing painful is happening. That's called repression or spiritual bypass or other things. Just pretending it's not happening, that's not the point. It's taking it all in. So yes, uh, there's some difficult things happening. You know, Houston just got through another really difficult weather event that was very painful for many people, for all of us. Everyone struggled in different ways. And it's a yes and thing. That's true. And I'm not silver lining it and saying that didn't happen or that everything was fantastic. What happened in my neighborhood and something similar might have happened in yours uh, if you've been in any type of natural disaster. My neighbors came out. We hadn't talked to each other much lately. We came together in a little community and we helped each other out and we shared the resources that we had. Um, I had a small generator and I was able to run cords to both of my neighbors and then they gave me some nice presents in return and we we were able to connect more. And so that's not saying that this uh, weather event wasn't terrible and it cost us tens of thousands of dollars and my family and many more for others. And there's this other side to it. So it's uh, choosing where to put your attention. So am I going to walk around all day now? It's sunny now in Houston. It's warm again, thank goodness. But I could be walking around all day and I would be relatively well justified if I complained 24-7 about all the shit that happened in my little small life with this freeze. And yes, that would be true. But that's a choice of where I put my attention. I could also say, yes, that sucks. Um, I'm not going to say that didn't happen. Yeah, that was hard. That really sucked. And then also don't forget to take in this amazing experience that I had with my neighbors. And then also not to take in that today's really a nice day. Like it's a beautiful day right now. And yeah, my plants all died, but it's sunny and it's a beautiful day. And that doesn't negate what happened last week, but it's all true. So just taking it all in. And so that's an example of how choosing where to put your attention can change everything because, you know, I've been really happy ever since. In fact, I was even happy during most of the freeze because I, I chose to put my attention on the parts of it that were happy and good. And and we have these choices every moment of every day. So we were talking about it in context of sexual relationships in the book, about putting attention, you know, choosing to put attention on the good parts of your relationship, maybe lightening up a little bit on being so judgmental about the little idiosyncrasies that your partner might have or that you might have if you're single, if you're single or with your friends or whomever, like maybe lighten up a little bit on the judgment and maybe pay a little more attention to the wonderful things that they have. And so that shift can change everything. So back to talking about work, could we do that? You know, if we are in a situation where, you know, many of us would rather not get up on Monday morning and, and go to work. We'd rather be doing something else. I'm truly lucky and I'm <laughs> never would have thought this would be possible, but I would rather get up and go to work than do just about anything else because um, it's fun. And that's possible to achieve, by the way, because I never had that before. But in as much as we do have to go to work to make a living, could we focus on the parts of it that are wonderful and focus less on those that are not? And there are millions of gratitude journals out there and all of this stuff. I didn't invent this kind of thing. But just remembering that however shitty things might be, and I'm talking big stuff, maybe you just got divorced 
or maybe you just got diagnosed with cancer, or maybe one of your children just died. I mean, big, big suffering. And even in the midst of that, is there something that you could put your attention on that could help you to understand that this is not the end of the story? And, and I, I've been saved by that saying so many times. This is not the end of the story. Um, for example, my 17-year-old son and I are going through a difficult patch at the moment where we're not communicating well, and it's very, very painful for me, or I experience it that way because I wanted it to be different. You know, I wanted him to love me and think I was the best thing ever, and right now that's not the case, but it's not the end of the story. So whatever your suffering is, even if it's the biggest suffering, it's not the end of the story. And that doesn't mean that I'm not validating that it really hurts, but it's not the end of the story. So how can we bring that into our lives, work, family, whatever? It's really about everything. So yes, we've already brought it in to our sexual relationships, our primary intimate relationships. So now let's expand it to every moment of every day. So that's the attention piece, right? Choosing where to focus your mind. And I promise you where you focus your mind is entirely your choice. I know you're thinking it's not, and I can hear my own voice saying, well, what about all the things that are not my fault? Well, you know, yada, yada. That voice is very, very powerful. It's the voice that wants to keep us as a victim. It's fun to be a victim because we get to blame other people. We don't have to take responsibility for ourselves. I love being a victim. It's, it's super fun to play in that space for a while, but it doesn't help us get anywhere further towards living in our full aliveness. So if you want to play at being a victim for a while, knock yourself out. I do it regularly. And then just laugh a little bit, lighten up and realize that's what you're doing. But as long as we're not taking responsibility and we're saying that, for example, wait a minute, I don't get to choose where to put my attention. All this stuff is happening to me. Just listen to that voice and laugh at it. Because whenever somebody's telling you that something's happening to you, that's a tip off that you're playing in the victim sandbox. And hey, I do it all the time. But um, you do actually get to choose where you put your attention. You actually do. And if you sit still for a little while and get good at practicing with that, you will pretty much always be able to choose where to focus your attention. And when you slip off the rails, you'll be able to pull yourself back in. So it's Constantly forgetting and remembering, forgetting and remembering. I go play in victim drama triangle world, you know, every day for a few minutes, but then I'm like, oops, I can pull myself back. So it's, it's an in and out process. Um, so I think we've nailed that part. So I skipped over the intention part just a little bit because, again, I've touched on this in different ways already today, uh, but intention going back to my loose definition of it being making a conscious decision to do something willingly, intentionally. Now we do that in our relationships by putting those first, by waking up every morning and saying, I'm committed to you, or maybe I'm not, whatever that is, but making it very clear. How can we apply that to the rest of our lives? So being very intentional about what we're doing, not letting things happen by someone else's choice or by quote unquote accident, which I don't believe much in accidents, but setting intentions and sticking with them. And I like to play in this world actually for fun. And I know not everybody does, but one of the things that 
lights my fire just for fun to keep my life interesting is setting intentions and then sticking to them or trying to stick to them and then realizing that you can fail and then you can start over. So, um, for example, I set an intention. I don't like New Year's resolutions, but New Year's intentions sound kind of fun. So I set an intention to do 75 spin classes in 75 days. And then uh, the spin cycle place closed for a week last week. So I had to renegotiate that intention with myself. And that's fine because I don't want to drop it. Um, so, you know, lighten up around it a little bit. So if you may, if you set an intention, say, to give up alcohol. You know, a lot of us had dry January. I tried that. Well, didn't work. About weekend, I changed my mind, but I consciously renegotiated the agreement with myself. So, you know, intentions don't have to be horrible, awful things that you're committed to and you don't want to do them, but find something that you want to do that sounds fun and stretches you a little bit. Be intentional about it. You know, whether it's showing up at work on time, that was one that I set to, I uh, notoriously am five minutes late for things. So I set an intention this year to be on time at work. And uh, in order to make it more uh, painful for myself, if I didn't do it, I agreed to pay my staff $100 each if I was more than five minutes late. And that made me uh, very unlikely to be late. And it also hurt quite a bit when I was late. And then it made them happy too because they got paid quite a bit of money. So those things can be fun. I'm just throwing that out as an example about how you might want to introduce some of those really intentional things into your life. And the reason that it's important is that if we live life with intention, then we will get what we want. And I just want to think about that idea for a minute. If we live life with intention, we will get what we want. Now, I'm not saying that if you said, okay, I want to make a million dollars that you will get that. That's not what that means. What it means to me is that what we're committed to shows up in our results. And I've written about this uh, in the book too. What we're really committed to, what we've really set intentions around show up in our results. So if you told me that, well, let's just stick with myself, okay? If I told myself that I'm committed to give up alcohol, well, I didn't. So what I was committed to showed up in my results. If I was really committed to it, my results would be that I would have given up alcohol. So what we are committed to shows up in our results. And so setting intentions is a way and, and following through with them and then renegotiating when we're not able to follow through with them. That's a very important part of it too because you can renegotiate this stuff all the time. It's your life. But if we don't live life with intention, we're very unlikely to be able to live in our full aliveness because we're not going to get the things that we want. So getting what we want isn't always what we think. Um, one of my friends who I'm going to interview shortly, uh, is uh, her name's Meg, and you've read about her. She's a soul cycle instructor. She said the most amazing thing the other day, which is that you will get what you want. And if you don't get what you want, you'll get something even better. Okay, so just let that sink in for a second. When you don't get what you want, you end up getting something better. And, and I've experienced that so many times. And that was because what I thought I wanted wasn't really what was the best thing for me to live in my full aliveness. So mm, I got so many examples, and I'm sure you do too. 
I didn't get to stay married forever. Um, when I got married, I wanted to be married forever. And then turns out I got divorced and I got something even better. So that that's a bit of a blasé kind of example, but there's so many different ways that that is true. You will get what you want if you're committed to it, if you set your intentions, or you'll get something even better because maybe what you thought you wanted wasn't really what the universe had in mind for you. And I am absolutely certain that the universe is your ally and it might not always feel like it and you might not know what the plan is, but the universe is your ally. So when shitty feeling stuff happens, when it feels painful and it feels like things are happening to you, I promise you there's something on the other side of that that's not the end of the story. And so if you live your life with intention, you will get what you want. And if you don't get what you want, you'll get something better. So that is what I have to share today. And thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan. I'll see you next week.